Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On The Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. 
I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine your home with your family, wife, kids. I want you to imagine the electricity is out and has been out. The water in your home is out and has been out. The sewer in your home is out and has been out. You must go forage for food and water. And I, you don't have to you don't have to be somewhere other than your home. I mean your residential neighborhood, your apartment. This is taking place where you are. You have to go out and find food and find water. Your children are asking repeatedly, can I come with you? Can I go outside? Can I go outside and play? Can I, can I see the sun? And you cannot let your children out of your home. Because if you let your children out of your home, somebody is going to grab them and eat them. What I just described for you is not The Walking Dead. It's not some zombie movie. That's real. That happened. And it happened in a place called Leningrad. We talk a lot, endlessly, and we always will on this show, about the eastern front of World War II. Germany versus the Soviets. I talk about it for a a variety of reasons. One, nobody else talks about it because nobody likes either side. You can't find much information on the Eastern Front of World War II. There's a great Dan Carlin hardcore history multi-point podcast on it called, uh, what is it? War on the Ost Front, I think it was called. Something to do, something like that. Either way, go download it if you if you want if you find that interesting. But it doesn't touch on Leningrad, I don't believe. But it's a great one. There's that movie, Enemy at the Gates, with Jude Law and Ed Harris about some sniper battle that took place in Stalingrad, and there was some historical significance there. And it it was a cool movie. It gives you a good visual of what Stalingrad was probably like. But beyond that, tell me. What have you seen about the Eastern Front? It doesn't happen. Everything is, uh, everything's D-Day. Everything's, you know, the airborne dropping in parachutes. You get plenty of stuff on the war in the Pacific. The Marines fighting the Japanese. You get some stuff on Africa. You get a million things on the Holocaust. Pearl Harbor. Now, all the high points, all the World War II high points. You just don't get the Eastern Front. And it's simple. Both sides are scumbags. You have Nazis. Ain't anybody pulling for the Nazis. And you have the dirty commies, which, I mean, granted, half of America is probably rooting for them now. But back in the day, nobody's rooting for the dirty, inhumane commies. 
And yet I will always talk about it on this show because it is, as I've said before, without question, if you were to just separate the Eastern Front off, it is the biggest war in the history of mankind. Just that part of it. Just that part. 27 million plus Russians died. Just the Russians. 27 million. Do you know how many people that is? It's so big you can't even wrap your mind around it. It is so vast and so vicious and full of hatred. It's not as if other wars are full of love. But the Nazis and the way they conducted themselves, even in some Eastern European countries that they were essentially given, people would welcome them, flowers, handing flowers. Oh, well, oh, sweet, it's so nice. Germany's here. And then a week later, the Nazis are just, look, they're Nazis. They're executing everybody. They're horrible. And they're, they're killing so many Soviets that then the Soviets start returning the favor. These are not exactly people who are going to lay down and take that. And then they're just war crime after war crime, massive war crimes. Throwing people out in the cold and spraying them down with ice, with water, you know, just to watch them. I'm just, just horrible. So people don't talk about it. I talk about it, though. It's huge. And it's horrible. And what's wild is I've done, a, I bet you I've done 10, 15 shows on various parts of the Eastern Front of World War II. I've never done one on maybe the biggest siege in the history of mankind. Possibly. I mean, I've done them on Moscow, Stalingrad, and we'll do them again. I've done them on just various parts. I've, I've never done one on Leningrad. I even went over Zukov, Georgi Zukov the other day. And I didn't mention Leningrad. And it just wasn't time in the show. I just skipped right over it. And it is amazing. Not necessarily militarily. We'll get to that. But civilian-wise, that story I told you at the beginning of the show, that's real. We'll get to that. But that's real. Now, if you're wondering where Leningrad is, you're pulling up your Google Maps trying to get a good idea of things, you're not going to see it on there because it's no longer there. They have renamed Leningrad St. Petersburg. Not St. Petersburg, Florida. It's important you remember that. St. Petersburg, Russia. So if you would like to know, and in fact, I think you probably should know what we're dealing with here, I highly suggest this is the point where you pull up your little map and look up St. Petersburg in Russia. For those of you driving or not in a place where you're able to do this, allow me to lay out where this is. This is the far, far, far northwest corner of Russia. I don't expect you to be a geographic expert, but just know it's essentially on, I mean, not essentially, it's on the Baltic Sea. That's where it is. It's on the Baltic Sea. And there's also a huge lake. See, the Baltic Sea lies to St. Petersburg's west. As you're looking down on it, that's the left. Lake Ladoga is on the east. It's on the right. And that lake is really going to matter in our story. Just know that that's what we're dealing with here. Now. Back to the actual invasion. I'm not going to cover all that because I have a thousand times. I'll do it again another thousand times. But Arbor, Operation Barbarossa 
That was the name of the invasion of the Soviet Union. Remember, Hitler and Stalin had signed a non-aggressive pact. Stalin, hey, you can have uh, you can have half of Poland. Stalin, you take Eastern Europe. Hitler's all, I'll take Western Europe. We'll just be two scumbags with our own territories. But Hitler had plans to invade, slaughter the Jews in, and then colonize the Soviet Union all along. He had no, no qualms about the fact he was coming. Stalin, however, was very, very, very worried about him coming but didn't think he would come. Stalin knew the German war machine was formidable, and he knew, as it stood early on, he did not really have the army that could fight them off, at least early on. He knew how brutal that would be for his country. And Stalin, remember, Stalin, more than anything else, was a man all about holding on to power. And as history has shown You get an invading army, you can't fight them off. That's a great way to lose power. So Stalin did some really dumb things early. Hang on, we'll talk about it. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. You need an auto protection plan. In this day and age, insurance is not enough. You have to have an auto protection plan because these vehicles cost a fortune, a fortune to fix. I'm going through it right now. But you know what else I'm going through right now? Oh, I get to deal with Car Shield. You see, I have a Car Shield plan. I don't just talk to you about it. I have a platinum plan from Car Shield. And let me tell you the ease of working with these guys, how much cheaper and easier it makes life. It is worth its weight in gold. Take it from me. Do not wait until your car starts having problems. Don't wait until your car is sitting there in a ditch or broken down on the side of the highway. Get a Car Shield auto protection plan today. Go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Use the code JESSE. That saves you 10%. A deductible may apply. Stalin is so worried about Hitler invading. He's so desperate that Hitler doesn't invade. He's worried it's going to end up throwing him out of power. That he bans what he calls provocative actions. Meaning any Soviet buildup on the border that would help them prepare for Hitler's invasion. Which people were telling him is coming. He's like, no, no, we can't dig in defenses there. That'll look bad. We can't. That's how... Lame Stalin was in this whole thing. But Hitler does invade, as you well know. And Hitler invades and invades and splits his invading force up into three different groups. Army Group South, Army Group Center, Army Group North. 
Forget about the South. Just know that the center, this is going to come into play later, was heading towards Moscow. Army Group North was heading towards Leningrad. Now, why were they heading towards Leningrad? Couple different reasons. Leningrad was a huge, important city, and Hitler well knew it would have been extremely demoralizing and devastating to the Soviet Union as a whole if Leningrad fell. In fact, had he been able to take Leningrad and Moscow, and it was a near-run thing for both, had he been able to take them, Soviet Union falls. He wins that war. So one, it was the moral part of it. Two, Leningrad was a humongous industrial city. Soviet Union could churn out tanks and ammo and things like that. And a lot of that stuff was coming from Leningrad. This is a city of 3 million people at the time. And remember that little that little map you pulled up on your phone a couple minutes ago when you looked at St. Petersburg? What do you see all around St. Petersburg? The sea, water. This place mattered because it was huge for getting supplies in and getting supplies out. These port cities are always critical to a nation because they help resupply a nation. They help fund a nation. If Hitler's able to go up there and take Leningrad, well, that's going to be quite a win. Now. I know what you're possibly thinking if you've been listening to this show for a while or you're just that kind of thinker. You're looking to the north and thinking, well, what's Finland doing? Finland's right up there to the north. It's funny you should bring that up. They fought something. I'll do a show on it again sometime. I've done one before. But it was a long time ago. They fought something earlier called the Winter War. The Soviet Union fought that war with Finland. And it wasn't some prolonged war. However, it was one of those wars Finland will use as a feather in their cap until the end of time, and they should, because because here comes this gigantic Soviet juggernaut stomping into your country, and they should crush you. And they did end up winning, obviously, but the Finns made them pay for it. And I mean made them pay for it. Big time. We're talking everything you can imagine. Guys in in cross-country skis doing ambushes, ambushes, night ambushes. It was it was a cool, it's a really cool little conflict. But the Soviet Union ends up winning. And part of the Soviet Union Union winning that war was the Soviet Union wanted a bunch of Finnish territory up there, and they took it. And then they told Finland at the time, guess what? You're also on our side now. You're gonna do The things we tell you to do whenever we tell you to do them, you hear me? Finland, never a big fan of the Soviets. Oh, gosh, okay, that's fine. Well, along come the Nazis. The Nazis, I'm not going to go into all this, give Finland a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, I bet you'd like back that territory the Soviets took from you, right? Man, that Winter War thing, that was unjust. You'd never see us pulling anything like that. I mean, not. I mean, you don't have many Jews, do you? Okay, you don't. Yeah, you'd never see us pull that with you. Why don't you join with us? 
Finland does. It's one of those parts of World War II not many people talk about. Everybody knows about Japan and Italy and the axis of evil. Finland joined with the Nazis. Kind of. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, the people of Leningrad know. They know the Nazis are coming. They're not stupid. And they do one of the most fascinating things. It would be fascinating to see a big city pull this off today. Again, big city, 3 million people. They get half a million people, shovels and everything else, and they dig in fortifications of the city. They're building a triple line of defenses with tank ditches, tank traps, they're building pillboxes, you know, those big concrete things you saw. Saving Private Ryan, the concrete things that the machine guns are in when the, when the allies are trying to storm the beach, that's a pillbox. They're making pillboxes. It would have been fascinating to see it. Supposedly, and I saw some uh, video interviews with people who were there, supposedly it was very inspiring. Half a million people, the Nazis are coming, let's dig in, let's rock and roll. Well, the Nazis get there. The Nazis get there, and they realize this city is extremely dug in. This city is defended. We've got an issue here. What are we going to do? And they get more bad news than Nazis do. They find out somebody by the name of Georgi Zukov has arrived in Leningrad, and he's going to go ahead and organize the defenses for a while. Remember, this is the greatest general of the 20th century, and you get word that he just took over the opposing army. Had to be a rough moment. And, of course, Zukov, because he's freaking Zukov, does not just sit back in the city. He doesn't sit back behind the line. He is constantly doing, constantly doing, pay attention here, counter-offensives. Because he knows, I don't care if it's a single line, double line, triple line, 10,000 tank ditches. If you just sit back behind it with your head down, you're going to lose. So he's peppering these Nazis, stepping out behind the line, killing them and losing guys himself, but then going back in. Constantly keeping the Nazis off guard. They're on the defensive as much as they're on the offensive. Then Hitler, in one of the all-time bonehead moves, I understand why he did it, but gosh, how stupid. This was Army Group North, remember? And Army Group Center, you remember, class? What was Army Group Center doing? Army Group Center was going after Moscow. Hitler wanted Moscow. He wanted Moscow so bad he could taste it. And why wouldn't he? Of course you would want Moscow. And because Zhukov also organized the defense of Moscow, as we said the other day, Hitler was having a very difficult time taking Moscow. So he instead takes all of his armored parts of Army Group North, all those beautiful tanks, and he pulls them away and takes them down south to go attack Moscow with Army Group Center. Well, what you've just done to Army Group North is You've really prevented any ability for them to actually invade a city the size of Leningrad and take it in any kind of a meaningful manner. Now, I don't want to nerd out on the details here, but allow me to explain something to you. 
We've talked a lot this week about urban combat, and I swear I'm not trying to gin up. Some, <laughs> I'm not trying to gin something up. It just worked out that that's what we've talked about. Are you okay? Part of urban combat, especially in this modern era, is a combination of armor and personnel. And I'll explain why they're both important. Hang on. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. So now it's siege time. The people of Leningrad can't break out, although, I mean, there are there are attempts. I don't want to act like they're just sitting in there crying in their Cheerios. They acquitted themselves very well. They can't break out, but the Nazis, now that Hitler took away the armor, can't break in. And let me explain that. When you're entering a city, city streets and whatnot, you cannot just sit there in a tank, even a big, tough American Abrams tank or something, or a tank of the like. The truth is people are too capable out there. Yes, even scumbag, idiot terrorists. People are too capable now of finding an explosive that can incinerate your guys or finding an explosive that's big enough to knock the tracks off your tank. All you have to do is make it immobile or setting a trap in the street. So your you see your tank is too vulnerable by itself. You like to think of a tank as some invulnerable thing with big guns on it. It is not, it is not. And now don't get me wrong. You can, but it's dangerous. You can't really just patrol up and down the city streets on foot. And I've done Patrol in Baghdad at night on foot. And let me tell you what, it's a little harrowing because you find yourself in situations where you need a bigger gun than you can carry on your back, or you find yourself in situations where you need cover, or you find yourself in situations where you need an ammo resupply. You can only carry so much ammunition. I know you don't see this in the movies. 
But even look, even as a six foot eight Marine, brother, I can only carry so much ammo. Ammo's heavy, really heavy. At some point, my knees just break. You need resupply. Having armor there helps that. You can strap ammo boxes to it. You can strap water to it. Not sexy. Guess what? Go without it for a day and see how you're doing. So what you want to do is combine the two when you're entering. You just have to. You have to combine the two. You have to. When we, In fact, when we first entered Baghdad, they took my company and we were assigned to first tanks. I was in an infantry company. They assigned us to tanks. They just flat out attached the whole company. And you're going in with them. And right when we got in there, boop, 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 taking fire from some big building. Uh, yeah, we're returning fire. Can we get the tanks up here? Tanks open up. And that building's no longer there. See? That's how it works. You take away the tanks. Well, I can't invade Leningrad now. I have to starve them out. And this is the ultimate situation of nobody can move. The Nazis do not possess the strength to invade. The people of Leningrad cannot get out. Only, well... The weather seems to be changing. The weather seems to be changing. I, I mentioned the Finns earlier. I, 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 sh- I should clarify the Finns. The Finns were expected by Germany to finish coming from the north. It's kind of a dirty move, but a great move. The Finns were expected, I need you to keep coming from the north and come down and surround you know, uh, Leningrad on the other side. And the Finns were like, oh, yeah, I'll get, I'll get right on that. And then the Finns promptly just took back all the territory that was previously theirs from the Soviets and then didn't move anymore. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know we said we were coming about that, though. Yeah, we're not. Turns out we just wanted what was ours back. So it's, it's not fair to paint the Finns as some horrible Nazi collaborators in the war and kind of did what they had to do type thing. So we're at a stalemate and the winter is starting to get cold. And there's another part of that Finns refusing to advance. Keep this in mind. Germany's Germany, and Germany's powerful at this time. But if you're Finland, remember that map you pulled up? You're welcome to pull it up again. Go ahead and look at Finland. And then look at Russia. If you're Finland, can you really afford to make a horrible enemy of the Soviet Union? They were not stupid. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and not lay siege to one of their most important cities, because if this doesn't work out, we are screwed big time. Well, if you're the Germans, you can't attack them. They can't attack you. What can you do? You can do a couple things. You can make their life as miserable as humanly possible by not letting supplies in. And remember, these are Nazis. They don't really obey the same rules that many people do. Well, why don't why don't we just start bombing them? It's funny to wrap your mind around when you put yourself in the in the shoes of people who don't really have morals when when they don't have when they're just flat out sadists. You and I, even if you even if you were fighting a war with somebody, if you're a commanding general and you have this big army and artillery and all these things outside of a city. Even if you were ordered to do so and followed your orders, think what it would feel like 
opening up with artillery, dropping artillery shells on a city of three million people. They were down to about two and a half million by this point because half million had escaped. But think what it would be like having that order. You know those artillery shells? Those are blowing up kids, man. Women. Well, if you're a Nazi, you don't you don't really have that problem. Doesn't you don't care? And they start bombing and shelling this place, both with artillery and air. And there are a couple of different kinds of rounds used. Remember, every 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 explosion, every bomb, every artillery shell is not the same. I know they make it out to be the same in movies, but I was a I was a mortarman in the Marine Corps. I was in the infantry, and we were I did mortars. Even mortars had several different kinds of rail, rounds. You had flare rounds. You could set your round to go off as soon as it hit the ground. You could adjust your round and it wouldn't go off until it had buried itself a little ways. We had white phosphorus rounds. We had red phosphorus rounds. We had, we, there were all kinds of different rounds. Same thing back then. They had high explosive rounds. And they had incendiary rounds, and both do plenty of damage. They loved dropping incendiary rounds on cities because you get so much extra damage from it if you can manage to get a fire going. Think how difficult it is to have a city under siege, people starving, supplies dwindling, and now you have a city block on fire and you have to put it out. Not even because you care about the city block, but because it will burn this whole place down if we don't put this out. And the Germans were not stupid. Remember, spies are a big part of, of everything. The Germans knew where the food depots were in Leningrad, and they're bombing the food. Uh-oh. Stalin had, to his credit, I made fun of him at the beginning, and look, you can't possibly make fun of history's possibly biggest monster ever. I made fun of him at the beginning, but he was smart enough to do this. He broke down the military factories in places like Leningrad and essentially put them on trains. The whole factory, really, and not the building, but all the guts of factories he broke them all down and put them on trains to Siberia and rebuilt the Soviet war machine so he could build everything there because he knew the Nazis were going to take some things in the East. It's actually, really, I know it is cool, Chris. It is really fascinating. It's very fascinating. So you're not as much worried about that if you're the Nazis, although you're trying for that stuff, but you're going after the food. And as of this, at this point in time, the food situation had been okay. But if you're in charge, you've got to start making hard decisions, man. Decisions I wouldn't wish on anybody. Hang on. Listening to the Jesse Kelly Show. Sometimes, and believe me, this hurts me to say it. Sometimes my knees hurt now. <laughs> I can't believe, I cannot believe I'm at the age where my knees hurt, but they do. And look, our bodies were not made to last forever. 
but I don't want hurting knees. And I'm pretty pleased to announce I've found a solution for my joint pain. It's at Doctors Trusted CBD. You see, Doctors Trusted CBD has a wide range of products, lab-tested products, natural products, not medicine, that make me feel good, make me sleep better, make my joints feel better. If you're one of these people who struggles with anxiety, and I know many people who do, it's been a proven solution for it. Go to DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10% off your order. The food rationing begins. And I often wonder about this, and it's easy to make fun of the Soviets as being a bunch of uncaring, unfeeling monsters, and obviously many of the party bosses were, but let's be honest, many of these people were human. What does that feel like when you're the city official, mayor, whichever guy made the call, when you have to start rationing out the bread, rationing out the sugar? But they see where this is going. They see how this is going. They see there's no Soviet army that can get to them. Zhukov isn't even there anymore. Not because he's not because he doesn't want to be. Remember, they're fighting the entire Nazi army all across the Soviet Union. If the Nazis are at a point where they can't invade Leningrad, you have to take your superstar and you have to send him elsewhere. And you have to start rationing, and they start cutting people's ration of bread and sugar. And then they cut it again, and then they cut it again, and then you're having to make decisions. Tell me this wouldn't be horrible. You're having to make decisions on who gets how much of what. Remember, everybody doesn't get the same amount. Oh, no, 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 no. You have to make decisions that are awful. But makes sense. Well, you see, this worker here, he actually is making some ammunition for us. Oh, this guy, he's the one making some of the food. He's working eight, nine, ten hours a day. He's got to have more food than you. You see, you're you're old, and you're you're kind of sick, and we care about you. We're not going to starve you to death, but but you can't have as much. And what what do you do morally there? Doesn't that make you feel gross, what I just said? Doesn't it? Talk about the burden of command. You want to look at some kid who can't work yet in the eye and be like, hey, man, sorry about your food ration, but you're simply not worth as much as the full-grown man who's in the factory. Easy to say on paper. Much different when you're looking in their eyes, isn't it? And it's not just the bread and sugar, they were given like a slice of bread and then a little lump of sugar. It's not just that that starts to get rationed. They start to ration off the electricity. Now, I understand I have a bunch of listeners in California who this will make more sense to you, but most of us, except for maybe small periods of time, weather or something like that, 
you've never had to ration electricity in your life. And I talk often about the blessings of being born in America, how blessed we are and how blessed we don't realize it. I often use the glass of water because it is amazing. I'm looking at one. I have one in my hand. I just reached over and grabbed it. Chris has one too. Glass of water, it is approximately 20 feet away from us. There is not only a sink, there's a water machine with ice. I could I could sit and literally drink myself to death on water today if I wanted to. I could drink water until I threw up. I have all the water I wanted. I could right now go down and fill up buckets and just start dumping it on my head and then guzzling whatever is left and just water, 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 water. People will die all over the world today because they don't have access to one glass of what I'm holding in my hand. You are blessed to be here, believe me. And we do the same thing with electricity. We do the exact same thing with electricity. I walk over to the lights. I turn on the switch. The lights come on every single time. Imagine having to ration that. You get an hour a day now, an hour a day, whatever you need. How are you doing with an hour a day of electricity and nothing else? Probably be time to go back in those books, right? Beer gets cut off. You see, they made beer. Societies love their alcohol, always have. Soviets are obviously no different, and contrary to popular belief, they don't only drink vodka by the gallon up there, although they do drink a lot of vodka up there. The Soviets love beer because who does not love beer? Yeah, Chris told me they loved they love vodka because it's so cheap to make. It takes one week to make it. You can you just churn out bottles of vodka. Anyway, we're not going into that right now. They start cutting off the beer manufacturers because you need the supplies you're making beer with to actually make food for people. And this is a this look, this affects life too when people are used to drinking beer. So now you're adding the beer ingredients to the bread and you're running out of that too. And now, as you've seen before, you're starting to add sawdust to bread so people can get food. How are you going to resupply? You have two and a half million people in this city. That lake, remember the lake? The lake right there to the east, you remember we talked about it? The lake starts to freeze because it starts to get really cold which at first becomes a huge problem because they were boating in supplies across the lake. Now, not enough supplies because you need a lot for two and a half million people, but supplies. Uh Uh-oh. Cold's coming. Hang on. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. 
Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Those boats are starting to run into some cold water across the lake, and then they'll start running into ice across the lake. That's hampering things, except it gets colder and colder and colder, and you're having the benefit of an extra cold Soviet winter. I know what you're saying. How could extra cold be any good? The ice chunks are getting bad. No, 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 no. The ice chunks aren't getting bad. The ice chunks are becoming one gigantic lake of ice. And the Soviets are people who know how to adapt to the cold. You see, the lake gets icy. The Soviets build an ice road across the lake to truck supplies in and out. One of the most fascinating things, highly recommend you look it up. They called it the road of life across the lake. But there were some problems. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. One has to appreciate the ingenuity of just making an ice road across the lake. I, and I, just, just so you don't oversimplify it in your mind. There are places, like you'll see this in, in, in northern places like Minneapolis, like Minnesota and things like that, where it's so cold, the ice is so thick across the lake that everybody drives on the ice. So you see ice fishing Ice fishing, they they do this. They'll set up like a cabin in the lake, for those unfamiliar with it. They'll they'll heat these cabins. I'm not making that up. They'll heat these cabins, and you drill a hole deep, deep into the ice to get down to the water. The ice is so, so thick and strong, you just don't have to worry about it. However, it takes a great deal of of knowledge and experience to know which lakes you can do that on, which parts of the lake you can do that on, 
And understand this for you Southerners. And I understand we have a huge Southern following. If you fall through the ice into the water, you're not cold, you're dead. There's an excellent chance you are dead. If there's any flow at all, and oftentimes there's some kind of current going on, you will not be able to find the hole where you went into the water. Even if you come out of the water immediately right underneath the hole and find the hole, there's an excellent chance you can't get out of the hole. It's very difficult to get out of the hole when you have hypothermia pretty much instantly and you're losing the ability to use your muscles properly and you're climbing up on the ice. Also, I keep using the word hole. Perhaps I should rephrase. If you're in a situation where you break through the ice in a vehicle or just as a person, you don't generally break off a nice, neat little edge with a good firm handhold like your neighbor's swimming pool. I have no problem getting out of the neighbor's swimming pool. You've not only broken it off, you've broken it off in a weaker place where even if you manage to get a hold of the edge as you pull yourself up, the edge will break off. It doesn't work like it does in the movies. If you go in to an icy lake, break into an icy lake, you are in deep, deep trouble. And I mean very deep trouble. And all that was to say, even if you happen to get out right away, let's say a miracle happens and you go through the ice and the hole ends up being right there when you come up and you have a buddy, because normally you need a buddy that helps you get right out of the water, don't think for one second you're out of the woods, Jack. You have to get those icy clothes off you right now because they're killing you. On top of that, you have to get a fire started or get in a very warm environment right now because your body temperature has dropped so low, you now have hypothermia, and your heart is going to stop. I grew up in Montana. I know about this. It's a big, big deal. It's a death sentence. You follow in something like that. Well, they make this road of life. And of course, because you can't have any luck at all, as soon as they get it built, it warms back up again and they lose 40 trucks just fall right through the ice. But, you know, to their credit, it gets cold again. And the ice freezes back up and they're still churning up. Now, the Nazis are not stupid, so they're constantly making life very difficult. There are still skeletons at the bottom of that lake because the Nazis are dropping bombs on the lake, weakening that ice, making it so trucks will fall through. And now your citizens are so hungry, so hungry, Now they're starting to die. And the thing about these sieges when citizens start start to die is they start to die slow, but then it happens so fast. And it's the weak people or the people who've been starving themselves who go first, which makes it even harder. You know, it's your elderly people. They didn't 
They don't have the fat buildups. They don't have the energy anymore. Feel like watching grandma starve to death? And sometimes it's the people, the selfless people, often parents or a husband or a wife or a mother. They go first too. Why? Because you're giving your food ration to your kids so they can live. Understandable, honorable. It's what you should do. But, shoot, I saw an interview with a guy. He had to be dang near 80 years old, if not 80 plus. And he was a kid in Leningrad. And his father died. And at 80-some years old, this dude got choked up and started crying, talking about watching his father starve to death. And it happens fast, and this is how fast it happens. In November of 1941, 10,000 people in Leningrad died. You know how many died the next month? 50,000. You know how many died a month in the months after that? Over 100,000 a month. And how rationing works when you're, when you're rationing off food, you know how rationing works is, You generally, if they can, if it's organized enough, you get a ration card. You're this person, so here's your ration card. And you show up at the the food place and you show them your ration card. And they give you as much food as you're allotted on your ration card. Well, now you're getting to the point where people are trying to survive. So relatives will die. Relatives will die. And you won't take them outside and bury them. Because then people find out they're dead. Instead, you leave them inside the home so you can take their ration card and use it so the rest of the family can live. They're chucking out some corpses. And the Soviets are having to guard the corpses because people are starting to track down the corpses and eat them. Donner Party all over again. The Soviets are trying to avoid this. They view this as some kind of horrible immorality. They start charging people with crimes. Stop eating other people. Time to cover your ears, kids. This is when it's going to get ugly for just a second. I won't dwell on it. There are stories of parents killing one of their children so the other children can eat. There are stories of husbands killing wives, wives killing husbands, children killing their parents so other people can eat, oftentimes willingly. Yes, kill me. I want you to survive. What's the toughest day you ever had in your life? You remember that story in the beginning? about kids not being allowed outside. Well, in any situation like this, a black market will become, you know, just a thing, a very powerful thing. And this is the point in the story where kids were not allowed outside alone to to pray because people would snatch them up and kill them and eat them. You're at the point where people are becoming monsters. You... Starve somebody long enough. People become monsters. You hear stories like this from the old Soviet gulags, ironically in the same country, where the conditions were so bad 
the starvation was so bad, the cold, everything was so bad, it didn't make people better. It didn't bring people together. It turned them into monsters. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. On air and online at jessekellyshow.com. Disease comes to something we've talked about before, something we'll talk about often because it comes into play so often when it comes to sieges. Another thing we don't take into account here in America, and I understand we are not exactly disease-free here, and often many of our diseases are because we're too fat and lazy and eat too many processed foods. I get all that, and believe me, guilty as charged, all right? Had a lovely jack-in-the-box dinner last night. Guilty as charged. But disease really, really comes when you don't have the nutrition. When your body doesn't have the fuel it needs to fight things off and disease begin to come. But there's good news. The good news is, remember the other parts of the war, the other three army groups, They ain't doing so hot. And now we're starting to see Soviet reinforcements heading towards Leningrad. We're starting to see Stalin realizes he's going to be able to save the place. They start churning more and more supplies. In fact, the ice road actually melts because the season just ends and the, the, the weather gets better. But now the boats are churning across. And all this was on top of the fact that the Nazis just weren't quite ready for winter. So they ended up being hurt really badly in the winter anyway. Now they're still bombing. They're still shelling. The Soviets get there. But they don't have a big enough group. It's one of these anticlimactic things. I actually think this is the part of the story that may be the most heartbreaking. The Soviets get there. You know, Soviet troops get there. They get in, and they're like, all right, it's counterattack time. We got these Nazis on their heels. They had a rough winter. It's time to go get them. And they do this huge counterattack, and they just get their butts whipped. (laughs) This Army Group North was very well equipped, very well led. They were very capable, very, very capable German Army. So you didn't break out, but now you've, again, you've weakened them so much. Now the end, now the end is coming. And now Leningrad is getting up and running again. They're opening the factories back up, bringing the machinery back in. Now Leningrad's churning out tanks. Soon, very soon, the Soviet army gets there. And the Nazi army has to pick up and cut and run back west along with the rest of the Germans. And this is the part I think is so, so cool because you've just got to picture it in your head. They didn't have really fireworks and such. 
And they didn't have anything. They still didn't have you know large quantities of food, although they were shipping over meats and things like that. The people were finally getting nutrition again. But the day the siege was lifted, over 900 days, the day the siege was lifted, the army, the Soviet army, fired off all kinds of flares and things over the city. And all the citizens finally came out of their homes and celebrated and cheered and sang and danced. 900 days. You know how many civilians died in Leningrad? 800,000 of them. 800,000 dead civilians. You see, I understand the level of angst out there right now, and it's getting worse. It's not necessarily just about the election. I caught myself getting involved in it last night too. I'm looking at I'm looking at the people Biden's going to put around him. Biden's already, you know, this guy's going to be my chief of staff. This guy's going to be my coronavirus advisor. This guy's going to be this, this guy's going to be that. And it's easy to forget when you're separated from it how crappy it is to have a Democrat president. Especially these days considering how radically different they are and the absolute nutballs they put around him. And I, I just had a moment last night. It was a bad moment. Someone had screwed up my order, and you know how much that screws up my entire evening. We'll go into that in a second. Ended up in a car wreck last night. It was, it, I'll go into all this in just a second. We'll get to that in a second. But I had this moment. You know I don't generally get down in the dumps. It's not as if I was over there crying or something. I'm not a girl. But I had this moment where I was just, man, this sucks. This really sucks. And you forget how bad it sucks. But we're still blessed, aren't we? Aren't we still so blessed? It's so easy, no matter what your lot in life is. And I have run the gamut in my life. So let me tell you, it's the same no matter what. No matter what your lot in life is. Poor, can't pay the bills. Got a ton of cash on a yacht somewhere. It's easy to look around and see nothing but the problems. But everything in life is a matter of perspective. Look around at the blessings now and then. I told uh, Chris when I walked in today, I have this insane day, uh, just insanely busy day. I had a radio interview before I came on the show, and now I have my three-hour radio show. And then immediately when I'm done with the radio show, I have to run into my TV studio and do a 20-minute TV interview. And as soon as that TV interview is over, a different TV station wants to interview me, and that's going to be 20 minutes long. And then I have to record my TV show, and then immediately after the TV show, do another TV interview with a totally different station. And as soon as that TV interview is done, I have to do a final radio hit on the big KAB in Los Angeles. I didn't make any part of that up. That's my day today. And I get in and I tell Chris, I'm like, gosh, I'm so busy today. And then I'm thinking about it as soon as I got done telling him and I'm thinking, 
Dude, you talk on the radio and into a camera for a living. Don't complain about your life. You get paid to screw off and have fun with with people you love. Life's good. And I still have my cup of water. Life is good. So you know what? I'm I'm going to set aside this Biden coronavirus advisor right now. I'm going to set aside the post office stuff, the alcohol sales, the everything else, and I will get to them. I will get to them. But it's time we're going to we're going to tell the tale of my evening last night. My frustrated evening last night. All these problems are really really minor, believe me. But here was my evening. <sighs> I was extremely busy yesterday, too, so I didn't get, as sometimes this happens, I didn't get a chance to eat. I woke up yesterday morning, I mowed a breakfast burrito on the way to work, but after that, I did not have a chance to eat. And finally, it's 5 o'clock in the evening, 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening, I finally get done doing TV and everything else, and I'm absolutely starving. And... We've had this talk before, but everybody needs to know this about me. I'm already a bad person no matter what. When I haven't eaten, I, I'm i the Antichrist. Uh, there's, I don't, uh, it's hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic. I've never been diagnosed like that. Whatever it is, you know the term hangry? I just turned into just an angry, mean person, and I can feel it. You know, I can feel it when I'm interacting with other people and I'm snapping at somebody who doesn't deserve it. I know I'm being a jerk, but that only makes me angrier. So when I need to eat, I need to eat. Hang on, I'll tell it after the story, after the guest. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it. For $4,000, she has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right, it's unjust, and Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out, or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773, that's 888-84-JESSE, or go to timesharejesse.com, Newton Group Transfer, they will help you out. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.